you're old, six foot ten, I don't know how tall they were. Guys come flying past us and into the parking lot, and Dave and I, we, we stumble on in. And um, the guys, Dave and I were joking with the guys and said something like, hey, we almost caught you there at the end. Which, of course, we didn't. Uh, you get the joke, right? And uh, one of the guys turns to us and he goes, how old are you guys? <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I'm obviously older than I think I am. And we said to him, yeah, we're in our 60s, and barely, we're in our 60s. And the guy was like, man, I hope we're still running when we're your age. And I was like, I hope you are too, sour mouth uh, kind of thing. <laughs> anyway, we're celebrating 30 years as a church. And I don't feel that old, but obviously I must be beginning to look that old at least to the young guys who are running. And in honor of us going old school, <laughs> my PowerPoint got lost. It got decimated on the way up here. So take your actual Bibles out. From the seat back in front of you, there'll be a brown Bible. If you didn't bring one, uh, take it from the... And uh, turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1 and 2. It's on page 1156 and 1157 in your Bible. I looked it up to help you out. <laughs> if you're in the brown Bible, the one that uh, most people have, Ephesians 1. We're going to, um, over the next three weeks, I am revisiting a series of sermons that I've preached over the years and from which we get our name. So if this is your first time at Fullness, you're going to hear a little bit of why we're named Fullness, a little bit of our vision, a little bit of how God has um, designed us, and um, I'm going to revisit some of the stories of 30 years, ones that um, maybe get a taste of the old school videos we showed uh, this morning of the, the celebration of God's grace in this place. Then two weeks from today, we're having a 30th anniversary celebration at uh, Wald Park. We're going to worship outdoors at uh, 10 a.m., followed by lunch together, which is provided by the church. You only have to bring dessert. Um, and so put that on your calendar two weeks from today. Make sure you're, you're engaged in, in that. So... 30 years ago, I was the minister of music at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church. Vestavia Hills Baptist Church had called me at the time because I was in music, and they had asked me to come do two different styles of worship on Sunday morning, a more contemporary style and then their more traditional style. After about a year, um, I don't know how to put it, the train went off the tracks, uh, in a number of different ways, and they decided not to do the contemporary worship style of music. Now, I loved doing all the different styles of music of worship because it just, as someone who was raised in music, I just loved being able to do whatever style, and it, it was great. It was a great job, great position, great ministry. Uh, but was coming to an end. And if I had to have a steady diet of one or the other, God was directing my heart to a more contemporary, spirit-filled, spirit-directed, for lack of a better term, style of worship. 
So I knew my time at Vestavia Hills when they decided no longer to do that was coming to a close. But I had no idea what God would have in my future. I really thought he would probably direct me to another church or what my original path was to, to be a teacher in a college or university uh, teaching music theory and helping churches on the side. So Kathy and I are praying about what, I'd only been at this church a little over a year. Been a great year, but I'd only been there a little over a year. I didn't know where God was directing me, what he wanted us to do. So I'm praying about it. And uh, I'm laying in bed, and I, there's a lot of this sermon today that's got an element of mystery um, to it. So just hang with me. Hopefully you believe in the mysterious hand of God and uh, that God still speaks um, because... Honestly, we do. Uh, and so that's kind of the kind of church we are. And I'm laying in bed, and I feel like I hear God say to me, I'm going to open a door so big that you have to walk through it. Now, that could mean any number of things, I understand, but I just felt like God was speaking to me this. And at the same time, I felt like God was saying to me, and I'm going to confirm it in that your wife is expecting now, we had one child at that point, uh, Jared, but um, we weren't actually, I don't want to say this gently, we weren't actually actively trying to have a second child. And so I, the next morning when we woke up, I said to Kathy, are you pregnant? Uh, and she goes, not that I'm aware. And I said, I think you are. And then I told her the story. I said, I, I, God said, here's what I believe God spoke to me last night. And so um, we agreed not to be intimate or come together until we found out if she was pregnant. Because we wanted to know, is this of God or is this not of God? Sure enough, she was, she was pregnant. Now, at the time, I had no idea what a door so big that you're going to have to walk through it. Man, I thought, oh, okay, it's going to be obvious. I'll start getting my resume out to other churches. I'll start applying for teaching positions. I'll, I'll start looking to see what God has for my next step. And when the door opens, it's going to be so big, I'll have to walk through it. It'll be clear to me. Over the days that followed, um, God started to put on my heart and Chris Kuhn and Larry Powell and John Kerry and the families of those that maybe we should take those who have been attracted to the church, which was just a handful at this point, and start a new work in our city. And I, I can't even tell you how impossible the path that God laid out in the days ahead was. Uh, if I went into all the stories, it would seem like I'm making stuff up, which I've been known to do, but in this case, it's actually true. <laughs> of things that God did to pave the way for this. Well, first of all, he had to uh, get me to cancel my inner vow that I would never, ever, ever be a pastor of a church in my entire life. Uh, and so that was the first thing. And so when we started praying about it, there God kind of put on my heart, said, okay, you can help it get started. And then once it gets going, they'll call a real pastor. Uh, to come. I had no idea God would have me given my life to um, this place. Larry and I, um, Larry had uh, access to a facility over in Tuscaloosa that we would go over and pray at. <laughs> if you're picturing in your mind this little cabin like 
thing it wasn't. It was, uh, it was in, uh, what was the name of that place, Larry? The Anchorage, and it was in North River. Yeah, it was called the Anchorage, and it was in North River Yacht Club in um, Tuscaloosa. Now, I, honestly, I didn't see a lot of yachts at the North River Yacht Club, uh, but it was very, very, very nice. It was a place owned by Sonat. Anyway, Larry was a vice president. Then we would go and we'd pray, really nice. And in my room, in that place, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, there was a picture of a fence post leading into the fog. And I felt like God was saying to me, just go to the next fence post and I'll show you the next one. Go to the next one and I'll show you the next one. Go to the next one. Don't get all bent on a shape about what this church is going to look like. Just go to the next one. And so hints are um, designed for this series of fence posts that go into the fog. Because we're still there. We're still at the latest fence post looking for the next one. Where would God direct us? So we continued to pray, and I had some confirmations in my heart about what God would do, need to do for us to start this church. Kind of, uh, let's call it Gideon's fleece thing thrown out. One was that my dad and brother, who were both pastors, would pray through it and confirm it, uh, which they did. One is that uh, Larry and Chris would agree that this is something we needed to do. Uh, and third, that we would receive the blessing and approval of the church where we were located right then. Now, the first two things really didn't seem like that big a deal, but the third one was a major hurdle. Uh, it was a major hurdle because they knew these people were going to leave, but what happened at the exact same time as I was praying through this is that uh, the senior pastor of that church, who is a godly man, had a different vision, resigned and started another church in our city, which led me to the view that, oh my lands, now they're never going to approve it. But the, I'd already, I'd already sp talked to some people. I'd already got the ball rolling, so to speak, with a couple of different people in the church to go through the committee process. How many of you are from Baptist backgrounds? We love committees in Baptist background. We love committees so much. We used to have a thing called the Committee on Committees. I don't know if you remember. We, we, you know, you couldn't have all the committees. You had to have a committee that oversaw the committees. So um, I started the committee process of moving things through the church, which they did. And on October 14th of 1992... The, on a, at a Wednesday business meeting, Vestavia Hills Baptist unanimously voted to bless the starting of this church. Now, what's even, if you want to, it, it was a miracle. What's even more remarkable was that in the hospital, Kathy was in the hospital with my son who had been born the night before. On October 13th, in the night, Adam was born. The child that God told us, told me, that Kathy was pregnant with was born the night before they approved the blessing of this church. Now, you may say, wow, well, yeah, it's an incredible coincidence. And, yeah, I'd agree if you want to call it that. I believe in the mysterious, powerful hand of God, that God is still in the process of still moving. We believe that as a church. 
You know, uh, in, at times Christianity has become more intellectual, it's become more legalistic, and it's lost the mystery of the miraculous that God still does. Now, I still believe in a balanced life. Like, <clears throat> some, I think, as I've said before, go to a point of claiming what I would call everything that's promised for us when Jesus returns again. Some people have gone to the point of saying, all of that, all health, all healing, all prosperity, it's available for us today. And I would say, I think there's part of it that has yet to be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes again. There's a part where we're still in the middle of the struggle, trying to get there, but we're not there yet. And the problem with that position is if you don't receive healing and health and prosperity and everything that you think you're promised, then where's the problem? Well, some people would say, well, it's you. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough this. You've got too much sin in your life. You've got too much whatever. Because it can't be God's problem. Right? Right? I mean, that's the theology that goes along with it. It can't be God's problem, so it's got to be you. And I, 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 it could be you, honestly. I, I'm not saying it's, you're not at all the problem, but I'm just saying you could be doing everything right and still not be walking in that. Go read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11, 12, 13, you go read. People died, martyred. What did they do wrong? Well, they stood for the gospel. That doesn't sound very prosperity doctrine oriented. At the same time, there are many within the church who are acting as if Jesus never came in the first place. They're acting as if there is no spirit of God on the earth. Jesus came and saved me. Now I got to just do the best to live the life I've got and to plow ahead forward and hope I don't screw up too bad before I die or Jesus snatches me out of here. That doesn't seem very right either to me. So somewhere in between, we live in this already but not yet. We've received something, but at the same time, we haven't received everything. And it's a tension, right? It is a tension that we live in. So how do we walk in this tension, and what should we do? How do we receive more and walk a balanced life? That's what I'm going to preach on in the next 20 minutes. Ephesians 1, verses 15 and following. Are you there? Ephesians 1, verses 15 and following. Paul says this, For this reason... Okay, look up here. I'm going to do this all day, so... For what reason? Well, preceding this... In verses 3 through 14, we have one of the longest sentences in the Bible. It is one continual sentence, 3 through 14, where Paul is saying, because of what God has done, because of his spirit who's been poured out, because of the life that you have, uh, this one long 205-word sentence that comes, and then he follows it up with this, for this reason. For all the things I've just said, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering in you in my prayers. This church in Ephesus, and really I had some great pictures to show you uh, of Ephesus and things like that. Just imagine in your head. 
stop for a second. Imagine the ancient ruins. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's Ephesus, where Paul had preached, and great things had happened, and a church had been born. And now Paul's praying for them because of their filling of the Spirit, praying for them for their future. Who, who is Paul talking to? Is he talking to believers or unbelievers? Hello? You can talk to me a little bit. We'll just get relaxed here. Believers or unbelievers? He's talking to believers. Please remember that as we go forward. He's not talking to the unchurched. He's talking to the church. And he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Lord Jesus, Father, Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right here in this passage. He's saying... I keep asking that you would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation for what purpose? You could know him better. I, I pray that for us as a church, that we would receive what we prayed about earlier, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the infilling, the empowering, so that we could know him better. He goes on and says this, verses 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Your heart, in the biblical sense, is the center of your intellectual being. It's the center of who you are. Oh, by the way, and my daughter, remember last week I told you that uh, my daughter, uh, who's uh, in med school, she, she had, has taken this cardiology thing, and she went in, and she saw like 20 hearts that were in a jar, and that she had to identify what was the problem, and blah, blah, blah. And so she calls me later, and she says, and by the way, that was... Enough for me to get a little queasy already, right? 20 hearts in a jar. We were talking about how she was saying, she came out of there saying, it is really easy to die. And there are lots of ways to die. So she calls me that after and she goes, hey, Dad, I listened to your sermon. Great job. The jars were not, in, the, the hearts were not in a jar. And I'm like, really? And she told me that she saw 20 hearts, but I assumed they were in a jar. And I'm like, well, where were they? She said, well, they were on a table. They were cut open. And we had to go around to these tables and see these cut open. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm driving here. I don't need to pass out just thinking about these 20 flayed hearts on tables that I have to go around and look at. Does that make you queasy? Auto? I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be opened. The implication being, you got your eyes shut. Your eyes, the eyes, spiritual eyes of your heart aren't opened. And you need them open. And then he goes on and says, be enlightened in order that you may know. And he's going to give you three things that he wants you to know. The first is the hope to which he has called you. We are not a hopeless people. We have hope. And hope is not wishful thinking. Oh, I hope it'll be pretty today. I would hope that the PowerPoint would work. I would hope that uh, this would happen. No, this hope, this biblical hope is a solid faith that what God has promised is coming but has yet to happen. It is a hope. That's the kind of hope we have. And then he goes on and says, that the glorious riches are glorious inheritance in the saints. 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You have been entrusted with more riches than you can possibly imagine. William Randolph Hearst was one of the richest mans of the last century, and he, um, he, he loved to collect art. The story goes that he had an art collector that he worked through, and so he went to the art collector and gave him a list of things that he wanted him to procure for his collection. The art guy went out and searched all over the world for these um, specific pieces of art, and he comes back to Mr. Hearst, and, and he says, Mr. Hearst said to him, hey, do you, uh, did you find these works of art? And he goes, yeah, I, I found them. And, the guy, and Hearst said, how much are they going to cost me? And he said, well, they're not going to actually cost you anything. And he goes, what? He goes, yeah, I found them. They're, they're in your warehouse. You already own them. The story to me is, I don't know if it's even true, but it's, it's got this aspect of sometimes we as Christians go looking for something we already have. We have a richness, but the problem is the eyes of our heart are closed, and we don't know who we are. We have the riches of God's inheritance, the inheritance of the saints inside of us. And goes on and says then, and, this is the part I'm preaching on, by the way, is incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Incomparably great power. That means you can't compare it to anything. This power that is within you, the next verse says, this power is like the working of his mighty strength. By the way, every single, of those, every single one of those words is a power word. Power, dunamis, like dynamite. The working of his, um, that power is like the working. Working is a power word. It's an energy kind of word. Uh, his mighty uh, that's the word, that, uh, the Greek word, which means the ability to conquer. It's the word from which we get autocrat, someone in charge. The working of its mighty and then strength refers to physical force. Every, this is his incomparably great power to those of us who believe. You have the power of God at work in your life. You can't compare it to anything else. It's incomparable. And so here's what I'm, I want to just kind of go through quickly today. And Paul does it for you in what follows. Is there really four different kinds of power that are at work in your life that God has blessed you with? You with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back it up and start it over again. If you Four different kinds of power. And they're incomparable. But the first kind of power that is at work in your life is the resurrection power that we celebrated last week. God's resurrection power. And the primary thought here is you've been brought from death to life. God's got, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, right? We talked about this last week. But you've been brought to life. I'm in verses 19 and 20, Ephesians 1. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. This display of the power of God, this incomparably great power for those of us who believe, it's like when he raised Jesus from the dead. I've said this over the years, but I think of all the different kinds of demonstrations of the power of God throughout the Bible. I mean, there, 
the miracles, the, the whole Red Sea thing, I think that's pretty impressive. Crossing through on dry land, you know, manna, food falling from heaven, spoiling on some days, not on others. It's unbelievable. I think it's incredible. I mean, just go through um, Elijah and Elisha and the prophets and the miracles that God did. They compare nothing to the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That incomparably great power. You have the resurrection power of God. How do I know? that you have this power in your life. Well, if you didn't, you'd still be dead in your transgressions and sins. You would be unsaved. You would not be in a relationship with God. Because here's what I'm, I'm hoping that the eyes of your heart would be open to see is that some of us today declare we're not worthy. You know, I, I really, I'm just, I'm just such a worm kind of thing. I really don't have the power of God. I've screwed up so badly. I've messed up. Pastor, if you knew all the things I did. You know what? If you knew all the things I did. Couple of things. Point being this. The resurrection power of God is working in your life if you've been redeemed. And you've been brought from death to life. Don't look at yourself as powerless. Instead, look at yourself as power-filled because you've been made alive in him. You possess resurrection power. Second, you possess ascension power. He, he's raised Jesus from the dead and done what? Where's Jesus now? Seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. Are you all looking at your Bibles? It's the very next phrase. Seated him in the heavenly realms. Ascension power. Here's what Paul, and by the way, I, I'm, I had this lined out, but I'm hoping you'll look at it and see it. Everything Paul says here in chapter one, he affirms in a believer in chapter two, right? He said, resurrection power is available for you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive, chapter 2. And seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. You are seated with Jesus in heavenly realms right now, chapter 2. So everything he says about Jesus in chapter 1 and his power that is available to us who believe, he follows it right up in chapter 2, verse 1, with we're there with him now. So yeah, we're all seated in these chairs here at Fullness Christian Fellowship on April, whatever this is, today. Uh, we're, we're here, but you know what? If the eyes of our heart would be opened, we would also see the mystery that we're with Jesus now at the right hand of God the Father. You, Jesus didn't just go to heaven to wait for a couple of thousand years to come back like he's on vacay. You know, like, he's just like sitting in heaven, sitting around. I'm ready anytime. Head back. You know, I'm just hanging right here. Uh, no, he, he's at work for us. He's interceding on our behalf. He, he's, he's working on behalf of all the saints. And we are there with him now in a spiritual sense. Which means we have the opportunity to have our request laid before him. This is not just about you surviving. 
This is about you working with the power of God that's available with you now. You know, I've heard it said, again, if, if all that mattered was God saved me, I don't screw up until I die or I go to heaven, wouldn't it be better if as soon as I got saved, I just got snatched out of here? If the odds are that I'm going to screw up before I die, high odds, and, and, and I just don't want to do that before I die, wouldn't it be better just to get saved, die, or get snatched up and go to heaven, right? I mean, seems logical to me, but instead God left me here for a reason. Why? So he could put his very presence within me in order to accomplish what he wants done on this earth now. This isn't about me screwing up. This is about me like dialing into the power of God's presence in my heart and in my life right now. Because I have resurrection power. I've been brought from death to life. I have ascension power. I'm with Jesus now, making my request known to him. And this is a tricky one. I also possess some modicum of dominion power. Here's what it says. Verse 21 Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed everything under his feet. What does that not cover that's been placed under the feet of Jesus? Everything, every title. He's got dominion. Now, you may be saying, well, yeah, Pastor, but that's for Jesus, He's got it all. Again, chapter 1 talks about where Jesus is. Chapter 2 helps point out how we have that. And in chapter 2, for instance, um, this is one I lost in my PowerPoint. At chapter 2, though, he talks about how we have been given a level of authority that we have power that we can walk in. Now, this whole dominion mandate thing gets really complicated and really messy if you take it to a point beyond where it's supposed to be, and in a healthy already, but not yet. Um, because there are, there are groups that, that talk about a, a dominion, a seven-mountain mandate, a, a certain aspect that we're supposed to walk in, that God has given dominion in these certain circles of, of, uh, of business or art or different areas and um, how we're to rule over everything. And, and I believe, again, there is coming a day where there's a new heaven, a new earth, a new rule established that's going to happen. But at the same time, I think that at times the church tries to get out of its sphere of influence and walk in areas that God hasn't anointed them to walk in. And we get in trouble. We get our rear ends kicked at times because we're walking in some type of authority we think we have when we don't actually have it. Now again, you're saying, well, wow, that is getting really complicated. Where do I stand? You need the eyes of your heart opened. Probably you've got more power in your sphere of influence than you think you have. So here's our 
theological track on this. God has given every single person, we believe here at Fullness, a sphere of influence, right? Uh, a, a harvest field, uh, uh, people you're in contact with. So, for instance, Hannah Shoup, she teaches at Briarwood, right? She teaches, what grade? Seventh grade? Eighth grade? Is that right? Um, thanks. I love it when she said, you know, yes, sir, like I'm old. Um, <clears throat> So uh, anyway, she teaches um, middle school at Briarwood. She's got a harvest field of middle school students. That's her sphere of influence at Briarwood, right? You with me? Hello? You with me? So if I waltz into Briarwood and say, hey, I want to share with all you middle school students about Jesus today. Well, it's Briarwood, which is a Christian school, but I'm probably still going to get arrested. If a middle-aged man, go with me on that, uh, walks in and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share Jesus with these middle school students, then it's not my sphere of influence, but it's Hannah's. And God has given her power to use in that sphere of influence. And every single one of you in here has a sphere of influence. Some of you are... Your, your, your moms or dads, some of your uh, business people, some of your doctors, attorneys, uh, finance people, restaurants, uh, IT people. I don't know what kind of sphere that is, but it's got a sphere. <laughs> I'm doing something for the kingdom of God. God has given you a dominion mandate within your sphere of influence. Are you looking to harvest it? Are you looking to... to to be God's representative, to represent him in your sphere? God has that for you. And finally, we possess corporate power. This, the primary thought of here is you have power, we have power together. This has been one of the core components here at Fullness. And by the way, it's part of where we get our name. Verse 22, appointed him to be head over everything for what purpose? For the church, which is his body. Here's our name. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God, as we've said, is not looking for a person after his name, but a people after his name. A group, a body, a fellowship. Who, who he can, pours his presence into and fills, he fills us in every way that is needed. We have incredible power. We have resurrection power. We have the ascension power of Christ. We have a dominion power in our sphere of influence. And we have a corporate power because we have power, power together. What we need is to have the eyes of our heart opened so that we can know that we have this incomparably great power that's available to those of us who believe. Today, my question to us, church, and a reminder as we come into our 30th year is this. Are we walking with our eyes wide open spiritually? Today, you may be here and saying, man, I need, I need more of this opening in my life to see that I'm not just stumbling through life in a 
crazy way that there's this mystery of God that's still available to those of us who believe. This power word is used consistently throughout of Ephesians. And as a matter of fact, later in the morning, you're going to hear me say this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. His power. It's available. Are you walking in the power of God? This morning, I want to pray for you right now. Then Scott's going to come give us some opportunities for service. Craig's going to lead us in a song as we take up the offering. But as we do, I'm praying that the eyes of every single one of our hearts would be opened in order that we can know who we really are. Lord, we thank you for your power and presence in our lives right now. Lord, I pray for Fullness Christian Fellowship that we would know who we are in you, that the eyes of our heart would be opened in order that we could know the hope to which we've been called, our glorious inheritance in the saints, and this incomparably great power that's available to those of us who believe. Lord, may we as a people walk in your power. May we walk in your presence. May we walk in your glory. Lord, for every single person here, I think, I believe we're probably all at different levels of having our eyes open. Open the eyes of our heart today, Lord. Jesus, you're our redeemer. Jesus, you're our hope. Jesus, you're the one who has made us alive in you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.